Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 198, Just a Guy Who Can Lend a Hand. This week we're discussing season 3, episode 18 of Battlestar Galactica, The Sun Also Rises, and season 7, episode 2 of Buffy, Beneath You. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Okay. Uh, so, the sun also rises. A uh, little play on some heading there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I meant to ask, um, my guess is that there isn't a lot, but I'm not a particular Hemingway fan. Um, I didn't know. Sure. I feel like you are more than me if you're not like the biggest I do. fan ever. And are there any um, connections to the title that you thought yeah. um, so, announced so I, themselves? I do quite like Hemingway. Um, so actually, the uh, little uh, little tidbit here, um, the small liberal Christian art school that I... Uh, went to uh where i went to college um one of my english professors is a fairly well-known uh author of hemingway scholarship so mm-hmm. even if i didn't like hemingway i feel like i have a you decent know background. a lot about him yeah um he actually so he wrote a lot about um like hemingway in baseball because there's a fair number of references mm-hmm. and so he did like I, like one of his main contributions, I think, to Hemingway scholarship is like dating like old man in the sea based on like the baseball references or something mm. like that. Like something really sort of obscure, but like appreciable from like both our sort of pedantic, you know, mm. uh, uh, you know, maybe preferences. Anyway, so all that to say that, um, yeah, I actually do like Hemingway. Um, apparently more than you if you don't like him at all. But um, <laughs> it doesn't take much to like him more than I do. Yeah. I'll, I'll admit that. I couldn't remember if you so like I, it, how much of a of a appreciator you were to be honest. Um Right. I just assume people like him more than me because it's not hard to clear the bar <laughs> of my of my particular I think I yeah, I don't this makes it sound like a more vehement dislike than it even really is. It's just you know, right. not it's for me. More um, of a yeah, more of like a a ambivalence or whatever like sure sure anyway um all that to say i've never read the sun also rises me neither so yeah (laughs) um so i i've read a number of hemingway books but not that one so um i believe it has something to do with like running of the bulls and like bullfighting and all of that kind of thing but i don't i don't really i don't know it well enough to know if there's a um correlation here or anything um i certainly don't think it's about like lawyers and right that yes. sort of thing right um, not like the plot details i mean the only thing that kind of i feel like maybe there's some potential for is like um the idea of like masculinity and what it is to sure and so for an episode that's very much centered on lee and his sort of daddy issues that seems like i would be surprised if there weren't th- themes in hemingway that you could sort of draw a connection to there 
um, of like what it is to be your own man and how to, what does that mean? And how do you step out from the shadow of, of the father and forge your own path and that kind of thing. Um, whether that is in the sun also rises in particular, I'm not sure, but I feel like that sounds like a Hemingway kind of idea. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Masculinity and, and yeah, forging your own path are definitely Heming like broad Hemingway themes, uh, I think. So, uh, yeah. Um, also, I mean, it's spelled differently. It's it's son yes, as right. in you know child, your right. your male child rather than son as in the mm-hmm. big star in the sky that we see in the daytime. Um, right. So putting the emphasis on Lee as the sun rising to his, you know, potentially rising to his, you know, uh, his potential, his greater potential, maybe than what he had been or um yeah sure so i feel like we've fumbled around enough in five minutes talking about a story that we don't know and an author you don't like so we can probably move on from that and just merely acknowledge (laughs) that um that it is a pun yes that it's a pun and probably doesn't have much more than that to do with it Fair enough. Um, so all that said, yeah, like, so where should we start then? Um, I think, I mean, I kind of loosely broke out things into topic areas, although it, it was really hard to do because, you know, so much of this is interleaved in this episode that it's it might be kind of hard. So like, I feel like even if we end up bleeding over from top to topic, it's not that big of a deal. Like we don't have to stick to like a specific, you know, outline or anything. Um, But before (laughs) we do that, I actually never, I forgot to ask you if you had any production notes. So um, do do you, or if. Um, Not much. Um, Just the thing you already mentioned about the the illusion in the title. Um, And the only other one was that this is um, the, uh, Michael Angeli's follow up after his next ep- episode after the woman king. So just to kind of keep that in mind in terms of we kind of um gave that episode a, a rather negative, you know, review and I think a lot of people did. So if we want to turn the conversation to how this continues or improves or worsens any of those ideas you know that might be a thing to talk about you know not if 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 it's not then that's fine but worth mentioning i think is is there something you'd like to say in particular no i just like to track the writers so since we made such a stink the last time about it i figured it was worth mentioning i mean so you go (laughs) <laughs> all right so a couple a couple of thoughts then so, sort of the of meta elements then since we're since we are talking about this stuff um i i definitely like this episode better than that one mm-hmm. um that might be akin to your comment about hemingway like it's not hard to like him better than you sure. do um it, it might not be hard to like an episode better than that other one that we discussed but right, right. um i do like this i actually you know, I don't think it's perfect. I think it has some problems. Um, and there's one in particular I, I definitely want to talk about mm-hmm. um, more near the end, I think. Um, 
from a sort of motivational aspect and and more for like setting up future episodes than whatever but i kind of do like the interactions here um more you know uh i also like so okay i i like um we this is the introduction now of um uh uh romo of of lampkin right so uh we have to acknowledge the joss whedon connection here right of badger from firefly Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and um i'm gonna forget his name but the he was in doctor who too um right so right mark shepherd in is in doctor who as well i forgot about that yeah. yeah Uh, so he, I think he just is shy of like Jane Espenson for amount of crossovers, like between all of our various, um, like he doesn't have a specific Buffy connection, but if he did, he and Jane Espenson would be like neck and neck. Right. Um, Uh, Canton, Delaware and Canton, right. The third uh, or something. Yeah. Right, 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 right. And, uh, the impossible astronaut and day of the moon. So, um, also in dollhouse. Oh, interesting. Uh, okay. He he. I honestly for I I can picture him. So, which of course has Hilo, as well. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like lots of lots of little connection. Well, not not Hilo, but uh, the, yes. uh, the actor's name escapes me. Uh, that Tamo Pennicut. Yeah, yeah. You. Uh, you know, so which actually, I mean, Dollhouse is like on the tail end of. Battlestar Galactica. So we're we're talking like mm-hmm. maybe even like overlapping mm-hmm. like periods on set from one to the other mm-hmm. um, for for both Tamo Pennicut and uh, Mark Shepard. Yeah. So anyway, all of that to say that yeah, like I mean, clearly a guy who you know we've got some connections to here um, with those different shows um, and. And I just have to say, like, in Firefly, which I saw before BSG. Ooh, is that true? Actually, I don't know if that's true. Mm. I'd have to think about that. Um, he's He's got m- one of my favorite lines, uh, like, in the series, uh, is the whole uh, scene where Mal says to him, you know, we'll never stop turning badger. And he says, that only matters to the people on the room. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So now that we've spent, you know, 10 minutes wasting time about things that have nothing to do with the episode. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to say that Mark Shepard, I really like Mark Shepard just as an actor. I, mm-hmm. I like all of the characters he does and, and, you know, obviously has the strong Whedon connection and mm-hmm. the Doctor Who connection and this. So, yeah, like, like you said, it's, Maybe not quite Espenson level, but it's Espensonian, uh, if we can right. he's, adjective her he's name. He's prolific in his medium in a similar way, like of like playing right. sci-fi show bingo. Like Espenson and Mark Shepard are two of the people who kind of hop around a lot and touch on many different, you right. know, and, verses and everything. And and do it well enough that they're memorable and mm-hmm. you know oh yeah for sure like all that um also apparently he's in supernatural like a lot of supernatural yeah i think i knew that which, that he's which, like one of the major 
yeah. which has a, uh, you know, strong, like, apparently that's where, like, Whedon actors go to die or something, because, like, there's a lot of crossover <laughs> there. Um, I don't mean that. Like, certainly Whedon actors have done other things, too. But, like, apparently there's quite a few crossovers okay. there. Um, and he's also in leverage with uh, 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 Lindsay from Angel. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, Christian Kane. So get, gets gets a lot of the lot of the crossover. Okay, all right. Well, so back- and you wonder too, like how many of these shows are like filmed in Vancouver, right? Like of like it's like sure. you know, well, I I feel like Supernatural is one of those where like there's probably a lot of BSG connections too because it's like well, if you live there, you know, um any of your local sci-fi shows may be filming at any given time and it's easy to sort of get guest roles and things like that. Sure. Um, so, yeah. I, I do like Mark Shepard. I, I I mean, we'll definitely talk about Romo. This isn't my favorite role of his. I feel like, maybe, and maybe I should save the reasons why. I feel like he's a very big character and in a way that I find slightly inconsistent with like the level that everybody else is kind of, um, you know, pitching their volume, you know, I feel like R- Romo's kind of playing to the back row, maybe in a way that like some other people aren't, but like, not necessarily, it's not even anything. I don't know. It's just more, a little more, this is going to sound like a really harsh word, but I, I kind of want to say a little more cartoonish. Like he's just like a very vivid character that like, stands out to me that is not quite the same tone as everybody else so that does irk me at times but um but not like I agree with you that this is not the kind of um disaster maybe that like the woman king was that there's more to like about this episode um and I think I said before that looking forward um, Michael Angeli wrote some of my favorite episodes of season four. So I don't mean to just turn him into like a punching bag who can't like do anything right or anything. Um, sure. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. We're still not talking about the episode. So, <laughs> um, okay. So I, we can go through this first section quickly i just kind of wanted to bring up the whole reactions to starbucks death um which is sort of like the it's like the opening whatever you call that like the the teaser um so you get like lee uh trying to do what he promised right like so starbuck made him promise last week previously on Battlestar galactica mm-hmm. um starbuck had done like the whole like whoever dies first the other one has to like promise to put their picture up on the memorial wall where they want it to go so lee's like trying to do that and he can't and then gets called away right um called away to sam who is drunk standing on top of a viper and flipping a coin somehow this showing that like Starbuck is always lucky mm. um and like that this couldn't be real or something um 
not sure I totally understand that because like I don't think we've ever like like we've talked about hapless hot dog before. Mm-hmm. I don't know that like we've talked about hap hap full. Like what what's the yeah like the, the you know lucky Starbuck? Have have we? Am I missing well, like entire conversations about that? I mean. I don't know that we've ever talked about it that much, but I guess it's sort of implied in the way that like, um, like she's in, such a good pilot and all well, of that. And just kind her of kind of ability to pull a win out of nowhere, I guess is goes along with that of like, and Leo kind of alluded to it in the last episode with his like, you always flirt with death. You skip away to, you skip to the edge of the abyss and you skip away again. That kind of thing of that, like she was maybe lucky in that sense of how many sort of death defying scrapes has she sort of miraculously got out of. Um, So I don't know that we've ever really talked about, I don't know that we've talked about her luck, but I feel like in some ways it's been it's implied, sort of implied in the in the character and stuff, um, but actually the flipping of the coin that always lands on heads um, makes me think of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead because that's how that play starts is they're flipping the coins and it's and that's their the first clue that this is not like a real world that they're sort of in a a constructed fiction where the laws of probability don't apply. Um, so whether, you know, I mean, we have an episode that has a literary illusion in the title. So I think it's certainly possible that that was, you know, on, you know, in their mind when they had Sam do this. But either way, it kind of goes along with that notion of luck and probability of if you flip a coin and always get the same outcome, you know, right. probability dictates that eventually you're going to get a different outcome. Which, now that I think about it, kind of applies to Starbuck. Like, out of how many hundreds of near escapes, finally something got her, you know? And, like, sure. you kind of maybe everybody um, uh, banked on the fact that she would always have the same, you know, lucky break. and as Or as, you know, Sam calls it at the end. But, um, you know, this one time it didn't it luck wasn't in her favor and it, you know, it went the other way. Mm. Sure. Which none of which I totally thought about while watching the episode. Like that's more just me talking right now. And <laughs> right. like, as I'm talking about it, I'm thinking, Oh, that makes more sense. But like, it is kind of random to just have him like, when you're watching it, it feels random to have him stand up there and like flip coins for no reason. Yeah. Right, and I mean he's drunk, so it's not. I mean it's not like the most random thing that someone's done while they've been drunk. Yes, right. You chalk it up to <laughs> um, his kind of silliness, yeah. Right. Um, it's like <laughs> what, like we'll get to later with Spike. It's like when Buffy says, "You know, you're crazy," and he's like, "Yeah, where have you been?" Like I love that that one <laughs> moment of clarity. Yeah. <laughs> like you lost your mind. Uh, duh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, this is Sam kind of going crazy um but yeah and then so lee you know gets called away from the memorial board so he kind of doesn't have to deal with it at the moment right like he's you can imagine him being sort of glad to have the distraction 
Um, and even even better because like now this is something that he can like he can help Sam. Like this is more like he doesn't have to deal with it. Plus he gets to like sort of help Sam, which makes it a little better mm-hmm. overall, I guess. So um anyway, so right, the um other sort of reaction that we get is from Adama. Uh which is like <laughs> You know, how do you remember Starbuck? You go through all of the citations or the, you know, not citations, but like the the write-ups that she's been given over the years, like all of her disciplinary actions. <laughs> this is this is how Starbuck is known to Adama at this point, like and and like laughing at them, right? Mm-hmm. Like this these are the endearing screw-ups that she's had, um, so to speak. Um Right, right. And and crying, which we don't see Adama cry that often. Um, sure. Ever, ever yet? I mean, maybe once, if at all. Um, I can't think. think of I can't think of another time. But I it, I never trust my memory. Like it's always possible I'm forgetting something. So mm-hmm. I don't remember another time at this point. Um, I mean, I feel like we've had moments of sort of stoic, um, like. Composed silence yeah. of like to like if something dangerous happened to Lee or to Kara, but maybe like never full on like you know tears and weeping right. and that kind of thing. Like like more often it's like well what he does later in this episode like the scared father thing of like yelling and being right. upset you know which I totally get like I do that too with my children like. Mm-hmm. How could you when it's like you're not really angry at them, you're scared about the fact that like they might have just got hit by a car or you know right. whatever if they hadn't been paying attention a little better um or if you hadn't been paying attention and stopped them um right right, but yeah, we don't really get like the the sad cry Adama no, uh, he's not so much in touch with his feelings right. Not that he doesn't have them, but he's not in touch right. with them on a conscious, like, I understand myself kind of level. Yeah. Right. Right. Or even like the episode with like his mind palace, former wife stuff. Like, yeah, like sort of melancholy and, you know, alcohol imbibing Adama, but not mm-hmm. like shedding tears Adama. Right. Um. Right. So. So, yeah, yeah. So, I mean. Yeah, I think you're right. Maybe this is the first time of like, which, you know. Yeah, isn't even. It's it's telling that like that only happens under these circumstances when like, you know, somebody's died. Like you don't show that an emotion to them while they're alive. Like it's only after they're gone, you know. And then, um, you know, over Kara, who he, you know, loves and values but she's like not his actual daughter like where and so you still see those even if it's based on fear or or whatever you still see that emotional wall between him and like his actual living son you know um Mm -hmm. right um yeah so 
I mean, that all sort of filters through the rest of the episode. I guess, I mean, like, we get to the point later with, like, Adama and Lee where they're kind of arguing about who misses her more and stuff, which is all sort of, like, a front for, like, the other stuff that's going on, right? It's the fact that Lee almost got killed again, where it's angry father, Mm -hmm. er, angry, scared father yelling, not, like, real whatever. Um, So even that, I'm not sure, is, like, about Starbuck, really, Mm -hmm. right? Like, it's not even, like, about, like, who misses her more or who's more upset with that. It's, It's, like we're both kind of wrong in our reactions, but we want to blame the other person kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, um, the other, so that's one piece of it. Right. Um, the other piece kind of at the beginning is like, well, we kind of get throughout a bit, but like is in that teaser, we get Roslyn pulling names out of a hat for, uh, to set up the tribunal who's going to try uh, uh, Baltar's case. So um, the last one, of course, that gets picked is Adama. Mm-hmm. So, um, which is surprising to her, apparently. It's like, did she not know his name was in there? Um, I guess, I like, we don't, like, how many ships do they even have at this point? Like, because I feel like that's not, like, a huge list, right? Like, if it's ship captains, there's not a ton of them around, like, yeah, I mean, or so. That's like, kind of, yeah, like, a, you know, a couple dozen at the most. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, like, I mean, I get, like, there's a lot of sort of this, like, wandering navy sort of like old old greek odyssey type stuff to it but like you know to the show in general mm-hmm. like the whole like having ship captains as judges even seems a little like archaic in that light mm-hmm. <laughs> or a little i don't maybe archaic is not even the right word like like we have lawyers and stuff and like isn't I would assume that um they would have some sort of like appointment and confirmation system similar to how we have for like actual like judges and magistrates and things mm-hmm. like like that there's there's a constitutional way to like appoint judges, so it seems weird to me that like this special tribunal comes from is like a ship cat like it's a very it's. I mean, it is a military thing. I mean, it's basic. That's basically what happens, I believe, in like um, courts martial and stuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like that. But like, this is ostensibly a civilian trial. So like, that's I think. Like, I didn't really quite put my finger on it. Right, it's an odd now. mix like, of civilian and military. Yeah. Right. Like there is this like like it's is yeah like the whole like tribunal court martial thing is definitely a more military way to do things Mm -hmm. and but like this is definitely a civilian you know uh uh, not civilian but like a a civil trial Mm -hmm. so i don't know just kind of 
noting it, I guess. I mean, it didn't really bother me, but there was, it was one of those sort of like niggling things. Like I couldn't quite figure out like why that sort of was weird, but I mean, I get it from a story perspective. You like having Adama as one of the, you know, judges is clearly the reason why they're doing it this way. Um, and I don't think it's even a bad thing. I think it's just maybe underexplained. Like, sure. I and not the first time I felt that way about some of the political mm-hmm. setup of, like, like it's like oh, it's military when we want it to be military, and it's civilian when we want it to be civilian. But like, sure. other than that, there's no clear like distinction between the you know like who does what. Other than like, sure, we want it this way because we think it's a better story to have it this way, right? Um, right. Which, which may even be true. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know that it would necessarily be as compelling to have a civil trial where like Adama's not one of the judges. Like, sure, sure, but they could do more to to justify that within the story, right? Um. Yeah, yeah, and maybe not just assume that um uh it the inherent value of the story itself is explanation enough um for why it's done a certain way. So yeah, I don't disagree with that really. Um So yeah, so we get like so we get the choosing of the tribunal judges. Mm-hmm. Um. So then, the other piece, of course, is we get like now we we have some introduction to Baltar's lawyers. Um, first one is a really short introduction because he gets <laughs> blown up right away and killed. Mm-hmm. Um, which is when they bring in the second one, uh, Lampkin, who, as we said, is played by Mark Shepard. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, like you were saying, he plays it a little cartoonish. I can see. Or maybe, did you say cartoonish? Maybe that's my interpretation of what you said. No, no, I think I did say that. And, um, like, actually, I do want to kind of, I mean, maybe maybe Mark Shepard could have done some things to sort of soften this. I don't even necessarily think it's his acting. I feel like it's maybe, he has a lot of quirks. And there are maybe a lot of, like, it's like, just a, it's a like large one too many. Just one too many. Like, yeah. it's... It's the accent, it's the shades, and it's the stealing, and it's his random stories, and it's like, it just gets to be, um... And his bit... sort of brashness, and, like, right. w- w- like sort of, like, yeah, like, brash, cocky attitude. Like, right, yeah, like, like, any two or three of those might have been okay, but the all of it together... Um, feels well, and, sorry, slightly over the top in a way that nobody else I don't even think that's a wrong way to write a character but like nobody else in the show is written in that kind of way so it just feels a little bit out of place to me Right. Oh, sorry I was going to say one more and like his like almost like mentor like I guess thing of like Maybe not mentor, but like manipulative way of like, well, manipulating uh, Lee mm-hmm. into like what he wants to do. But like also like kind of in a way that's good for Lee to like step out on his own. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like that, like Mr. Me, 
nagginess almost of like of sure. like I'm gonna like get you to do this thing to show that you really care and like right, right. you know what I mean like like it's not even that he's like brash and and whatever but it's like I'm doing it for your own good but also right. to get what I want <laughs> like right aspect to it so yeah so like there right. I, I agree there I I didn't think of it that way but I totally agree when you put it that way that there's a yeah, there's a whole level of yeah, extra like stuff going on that he like like you could easily cut out two or three of those things mm-hmm. and it's not that like he's still going to be a pretty bold character but like right right maybe right. not right like maybe you could have him be that strong of a personality but if you tone down like his kind of I'm hiding behind my shades kind of thing or, or his, or the, you know, kleptomaniac, like, you know, like, it's kind of like, I don't know that a character needs quite that many. If you have a good actor, like he doesn't need quite that many like attributes to be memorable and stand out. So yeah, I mean, it's just a little, it's a little much. Um, And actually I feel like it's not so noticeable once he gets more involved with the plot, because it's like he's sure. sort of doing like when it's the trial episodes, I I don't notice that as much. I feel like this episode is very much about introducing you to like Romo, even the name, like, <laughs> like, like he's already ridiculous enough. And then he has like a ridiculous name on top of it. But this episode is so much like about introducing who he is and trying to figure him out that maybe it's more noticeable that like he has like a lot of different things going on um right so and and i'm here i'd be curious to see because i don't i honestly don't know because i i don't know that i was paying attention to it when i watched it before like how many of those things even are consistent like throughout the like do they even bring up the fact that he he's a klepto later or is it like just uh, you know, and has little, a like, like weird quirk. cat that like jumps around at real, random times right. and right. yeah right like they only like maybe they only inserted the cat to you know have him jump out of the raptor right right sure. like like that feels kind of like at this point that's the only significant thing it's done right right um right yeah and that I, also, don't, I don't that always seems, like they were like maybe in a story like conference or something and like all right, how do we get the chief to, like, discover the bomb? Ah, let's have a cat jump out of the Romo raptor. has a cat. All right, well, let's figure out how, well, like, why does he have a cat? Well, it's why just not? a wife's cat. Like, like, this guy's <laughs> weird enough. Of course he carries a cat in his bag. Like, why not? <laughs> like. So, it's just like, yeah. But, so, I don't... Sorry, sorry, I gotta stop. Completely random thing. Unrelated to the episode, but kind of related to cats in bags. <laughs> <laughs> I saw on Facebook today this story about how uh, apparently, like, New York City banned, like, all dogs on public transportation unless they could fit in a bag. So, like, now, like, people are just, like, having, like, these ridiculously big dogs and, like, ridiculously big bags to carry with them, like, on the trains and stuff. Anyway. Get in this duffel bag and, yeah. 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 And, and like, there's, like, pictures. So, yeah. like, anyway. Un- completely unrelated, That's but funny. kind kind of related. <laughs> it was just hilarious. Anyway, 
Yeah, like the sunglasses. Like we're not like David Caruso, CSI Miami, like in 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 like sunny climate. It's like you're on a spaceship inside where there's no like external light. Right. And, and again, like, like the it, dim it's, hallways. It's more of... about keeping him that mysterious figure who knows everything about you, but you can never look him in the eye. And it's just it's right. just okay. Like could take that down to it's dialed up at eleven. We could, you know. Um, you know, right. take it down a few minutes. But I also don't remember which of those things continue to be relevant in the future. So I'll have, I'll definitely be interested to see like, you know, the stealing and the cat and his backstory and all that stuff. Like, does it continue to inform the character or is it like, okay, we set him up and now we don't have to worry about that stuff. We can just let him sort of do his thing. Um, but anyway, um, but yes, he comes in as the next lawyer and is definitely his boldness as a character and as a person makes him maybe the ideal candidate, somebody who's kind of crazy enough to do the job, you know? Um, and I did like, I did like the one line about like, uh, Roslyn asking what qualifies you and he's like oh I was born for this and I have a pulse like who right. else like how many defense lawyers do you have in the fleet and how many of them of the ones that you have are willing a to defend Baltar at all b to defend him when they're targets of like assassins so you know it is this guy kind of a crazy genius best defense lawyer ever? Or is he some lunatic who like is literally the only person who will do this job? And so there's a little bit of tension as to which of those things is true. Yeah. Um, I think there is for the audience. I'm For sure there is for the audience, I would say. I wonder how much that's the case with like Roslyn and Donald. Like I almost wonder if like, I, like, I, Rosalind says there are, like, a few people, at least, mm -hmm. right? Like, it, or it's, at least she seems to imply, like, there's more than one when she's given, like, the press conference. Um, yeah, but is that, like, we need to tell the people... Well, sure. What, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. we have, everything's under control, don't worry, we have plenty of qualified candidates. Maybe it's true, right. I don't know, but I don't know for I, sure either. Like, since we don't know... Like I like I'm taking that as face value. Like just assume it is true for the moment. Yeah. Like I wonder if even like going with him if they're not sort of like thinking that it's a uh, because of his sort of brashness and uh you know ego and whatnot mm -hmm. and quirks. Like I almost wonder if like there's not a reason why they like maybe part of the reason they choose him is because of those things. And because it's, you know, more likely that he'll fail. Mm. Like in their mind, whether mm -hmm. that's true or not, like maybe the, into their mind, it'll be more likely that he'll fail. And so, you know, that's kind of why they like him is because he's so cocky and, and whatever mm -hmm. that he can't really be as good as he thinks he is. So let's choose him. Sure. To sort of make sure that Baltar gets hanged or mm -hmm. whatever, you know, thrown out in airlock or whatever. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, again, I don't, I don't know. 
for sure. And I don't, I mean, that's just speculation, but like, I definitely think we can maybe play with that idea a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah. So Lampkin comes in, he's Baltar's lawyer. Um, and we kind of get, so we get like the, you know, conversation like with him and Lee about like seeing his client in Lee's quarters where like, it's not likely to be surveilled right first. And, mm -hmm. and you do sort of see his savviness right away. Like, like, it's not like he's just cocky and can't back it up. Like he right. pretty quickly, like, is like, I know what's going on here. They've already got bugs in the interview rooms and whatever, you know, the cells, but like, you know, I should be able to have like a conversation with my client, you know, without being surveilled. And, and you do get like, what's interesting to me is not so much that part of it, right? But that like, you do have like Lee, the idealist sort of coming out here of like, yeah, you should have like, you know, no matter who you are, sort of on principle, like you should have like a right to counsel and defense. And like Lee even signs a confidentiality agreement, mm -hmm. you know, to do that, which is interesting because... He is he is performing duties still as part of the military. Like he he's he's security for the trial or for Baltar and his lawyer more for the lawyer than Baltar um because his father tells him to be. Mm -hmm. Which so this all right so this is a preview of the problem I have later with the whole is that in order thing but we'll get mm -hmm. to that. But because I, I, but I do feel like there's a connection from here, right? Like there, the, it is an order, like for Lee to provide security, and he doesn't want to at first, but he's he's grounded, he's ordered not to fly, you know, because of the issues he's having with Starbucks death and whatnot. Um, so he is filling in a military capacity, but he nonetheless signs this like non-disclosure agreement. And, like, I wonder, like, how much that's a legally binding document. Mm -hmm. But, like, also, like, you get, I think that Lee actually would follow it, too, right? Like, mm -hmm. like principled Lee would say, mm -hmm. all right, I signed this confidentiality agreement, and I'm going to keep what I hear confidential, even if it's something he doesn't like or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas, like, Adama wouldn't necessarily do that. So I don't know. Right. Like sure. I like I, I do think I think that's more interesting than like the fact that uh uh Romo himself is um you know actually uh uh kind of good at his job. Like mm -hmm. like that's mm -hmm. like okay, well, you know, he's cocky but he kind of earns it and like Yeah, right, right. Whatever. But um <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess I feel I feel like I'm, you know, dwelling too much maybe on that. But like, I don't know. I just like the way that that sort of does play out with with the way Lee reacts and and actually like. So jumping ahead, maybe a little bit to the whole like Raptor bomb. Mm -hmm. as, like. Not the one that kills the force lawyer, but the second one that d ends up not going off, mm -hmm. you know, afterwards, like. Like, re Lee really steps up his game. Like, it's not like... Mm -hmm. Like, his father's kind of right. Like, you were half-assing the 
security stuff. Like, you should have mm-hmm. been more on the ball. But again, that's like scared father Adama, not necessarily right. like Admiral right. Adama. And, right. and, but like, I think Lee takes that to heart, like, even more than like Adama might even really care. Like, because Adama doesn't give a crap about, you know, Lampkin. Right. Right, right. He, like he, he gives a right. crap it's about the fact that Lee, Lee. Yeah, yeah. But Lee, like, actually cares about his job and protecting Lampkin and all of that. Um, and interestingly enough, like chooses Marines who also like presumably he knows the Marines that he chooses personally because they aren't just like, oh, you're Baltar. They're not like the deckhands. Mm-hmm. Who are, you know, complaining or Captain Kelly or whoever who are complaining about like having to shuttle Baltar's lawyer back and forth between Colonial One and Galactica, whatever. Like mm-hmm. like they actually look at the files that are given to them to check them for potential problems. And when they notice there's a screw on the ground and, you know, they he tries to make that connection, like, you know, is like, oh, like it's not like Oh, let me back away and watch as Baltar's lawyer gets blown up. They actually try to save. So, like, right. I feel like that's like as much as that's an action of like the Marines themselves. Like, that's reflective of Lee, who chose the detail, right? Like, so it's not even like like he's putting that an, enough effort into it that like he's choosing people he knows are loyal to him and are going to actually provide security rather than just sort of let the lawyer wander into his own, you know, death or whatever. Right. Um, right. So, right. Like, so like there's Adama's message is do a better job. What he's means by that is do a better job at staying alive. You, you know, Lee takes that to mean do a better job assisting Lampkin, um, which by the end becomes not at all what Adama meant by that, but that's how Lee takes that direction and actually like says, okay, that's, here's a way I can do that. Um, yeah. Um, but again, like I think, and I, and I think that's, so it's that trigger kind of in a way, literally, um, that I think sets Lee down sort of the, the path that he winds up, where he pisses his father off because like, like Lee is taking this stuff seriously now and it's kind of Adama's fault <laughs> like yeah. for doing it, you know? So I think in some of that aspect of the episode, that's what I found. That's what I find more interesting. And like, like why I think this works better than mm-hmm. like our Mrs. Kang, like, or whatever her name was. Um, <laughs> You're thinking of our Mrs. Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> the woman king. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, so the the whatever the king or woman king, the one the woman king. the woman king. That was great. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> I totally was going back to the Firefly connection, um, which doesn't even have Badger in it. But anyway, um, I don't think. But uh, I'm pretty funny. sure. I'm pretty sure it doesn't. But anyway, so yeah, the the whole woman king episode, like. Like, that just felt like there was a lot of connections that didn't get made that could have been done better. Yeah. And this is sort of the opposite there with Lee and everything, mm. where um, I actually kind of like how that works out for him, um, even if I'm not 
you know, pleased with the episode hundred percent overall. I think it sure. works, but I think it works. Well, better. it's good. Yeah. Because it's like, it, from a, like setting up, it's the finale next, right? The two part finale yep. as, as, as an episode of like setting up for the finale. Like, I think that does do a good job of motivating Lee into the place he needs like, whereas we said, all right, we can buy Adama on the tribunal, but we don't feel like it necessarily justifies why he's on the tribunal. I feel like this does do a good job of motivating why Lee is on the defense team. Because, like, right. it is easy to say, well, we want Lee to be on the defense team because that's a good story. Like, that's where the drama is. And that's true. But this does maybe a better job from Lee's point of view of figuring out story reasons why he's there and giving him motivation to actually like want to be there and want to do a good job and care and you know um you know so putting it into a really good context as to you know why it is that he's assisting Lampkin with Baltar's you know defense um, um do you want to just jump ahead to like more of finish up the personal stuff like what's your what's your issue with so so i feel like we've talked I mean, around I've, it i, I feel not. like yeah like so okay so like the the whole like is this an order stuff mm-hmm. really is where so like okay yeah at the end you get like uh lee finds out who you know is the terrorist <gasps> spoiler alert it's captain kelly um <laughs> so uh he finds that out and like Adama's like, okay, good job. You found the, you found the one terrorist, you know, who wants Baltar dead. Sure. Like, you know, I mean, there's a bit of a, uh, naivete aspect to that, I guess. Cause like mm-hmm. clearly, I mean, maybe, maybe he, Kelly was working alone, but like, like clearly he's not the only one who hates Baltar. Right. right. And so like with him removed, that doesn't necessarily remove the danger. So, so I also feel like this is another aspect of Adama just sort of doing lip service, like like mm-hmm. it, like it was with like he's not he doesn't really care about whether Lampkin lives or dies. Mm-hmm. So if he's not saying like do a better job of protecting Lampkin to Lee. It's like mm-hmm. do a better job of paying attention because like you could die to mm-hmm. Lee. Mm-hmm. And so like I feel like this is the same kind of thing. It's like it's sort of that veneer of like we did our due diligence, but mm-hmm. we didn't really because we're now no longer doing our due diligence or it's like that thing of like yay we killed osama bin laden the terrorist threat is dead you know like but like well no we kind of pissed off a lot of other people too so like maybe maybe there's like other stuff to come down and oh lo and behold years later there's still people who believe the same things and bigger badder things things have moved into that place Um, yeah yeah so I kind of feel like the whole discussion where so one, I, I feel like it's a bit disingenuous on Adama's part to mm-hmm. take Lee off of that. Like it doesn't make much sense. But then Lee was already following orders by being like this is it it's not even that I dislike it. It's that I don't I don't really understand how it works. Like most of the time I can figure out like, okay. It's not the way it works in, like, our world, but, like, I can kind of see why it works here. So even with, like, the tribunal stuff, like, like I at least get that, like, 
they're calling back to like the idea of ship captains as like tribunal people and like it's sort of a military uh court martial thing more than a you know civil thing but like there's at least a precedent there and like Mm -hmm. it might seem kind of arbitrary sometimes but at least like i can understand the traditions they're working in this i don't get quite as much because i don't i don't understand like like lee's following orders by providing security Mm -hmm. and adama takes him off that and says report to duty and then apollo asks is that an order why would that not be in order like what like like in what situation would like the admiral tell the major to do something and it's not in order sure and like and like like i get where there's things like i want you to give me an order to like so like the whole um you know killing uh uh you know crazy guy there who had a gun to Callie's head or whatever right like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh back on COBOL like Mm -hmm. like I get that like okay this is an order that I'm refusing like that's one thing like but the whole like report for duty like when is when is a a superior officer telling you to report for duty ever not in order like I I just don't like I like this isn't a situation where it's like there's some morally questionable thing going on Right. Of like, right. right. It's like, I'm telling, like, I'm telling you to execute someone and you're not doing it. Why aren't you doing it? Like, right. like, this is like, hey, you know, you're going back to the job that you already had and you were on a temporary assignment. I, I don't get that question. But then also, like, 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 that's bad enough. Like, or like weird or whatever enough. I, I, I don't mean it's like bad, but you know what I mean? Like, I just, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. enough but then there's like adama saying oh i'm through giving you orders like right. okay like this is frustrated daddy guy but like right. yeah but it's like you're again like if you're if you're supposed to be like the admiral and you're and you never answer the question like so what was it an order like or or it wasn't an order, but if it's not an order, then like why are you telling him to report for duty? Like again, in what situation is that not an order? Right, right. So like like that whole like conversation, and I think I think this might just be one of those like TV trope myths of how mm. the military works kind of thing. Like from my understanding, I've never been in the military, but I've had family in the military, and and have family still in the military, and it's like I. I get the sense that it's just that thing of like, if you get told something to do by someone who's in charge of you, right? That's or like a superior. God, God, God yours, is speaking to you. You don't quite, yeah. You, yeah. You don't question that. You don't mm-hmm. like ask, "Is this an order?" Uh, unless it's like something completely outrageously like ethically whatever. And even then, a lot of times, a lot of people don't seem to ask. Like we've got documentary evidence of the fact that people don't seem to question a lot when they're given an order and so again and and maybe that is the dynamic between a father and son in the military or whatever but at the same time like i just don't get the idea that like that question is it an order is actually a real question that any like junior grade officer would ask of a senior officer right and yeah this isn't a defense because i agree with you that it's 
it's probably totally unrealistic to the way like actual human beings would behave in this situation. But like, I think absolutely that's the only way to understand that final scene is as like parent child. Like this is like, right. This is dad telling you to clean up your toys and, and bratty child refusing. And then angry, petulant dad saying, whatever, it's your toys. I'm not dealing with it and storming out. And so the toys remain uncleaned because people just like storm off and go in their separate directions. Like that's literally what happens here. It's not, it's not an admiral talking to his officer. Um, Which, I mean, I I feel like that stretches the, I mean, I think you can read it as like, this is the problem with Adama and, and the kind of inbred nature of, his relationship with Lee and the fact that they are father and son running this fleet. And so those lines have become blurred, but I, I agree that that maybe stretches credibility as far as like, yeah, if Adama decides to tell Lee to do something that very clearly is an order without being, you know, and the only reason why, it, he doesn't end up making him do it is just out of like sheer frustration of like on principle I'm not going to give you the order that I want to give you because I'm angry at you and you can do what you want and deal but, with the consequences you know yes I get all of that yeah except that then he goes right out and says Hilo's still the keg Lee's got more important stuff so like Right, so he backs down. He is petulant father, but then he goes and makes actual like military decisions based on that. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I don't know. I, 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 like, I don't necessarily disagree with what you're saying. I just, it just seems a bit out of character for Adama, even mm-hmm. as petulant father, and certainly as military leader guy. Mm-hmm. Um. Which should totally be his title. Instead of Admiral, I'm military leader guy Adama. Yeah. Um, I don't know. So anyway, so that, I mean, that's kind of the biggest thing that bothers me in this episode. Um, we've got like two minutes left. I don't like how much do we need to go through like the terrorist plot? So bombs go off. They don't know who it is. Captain Kelly is the terrorist. <gasps> um. He kind of confesses a little fast, but that's probably just more like a pacing thing for the story than anything. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, yeah, I did it. Like, yeah. and I don't even want to try. I'm not even sorry. Like, I'm not yeah. going to stop it. Okay, that's fine. Maybe like the actor needed an out and just was like, he was going on to different things. Sure, uh, sure. Or something. But like, yeah, it's not like, I don't think we ever see him again after this, right? I think there's one more time. Is there okay that I can think of? There's one, but basically he's like in the brig for the rest of the show. I think right, right. Um, That's what. So there's maybe one, one or maybe two episodes where he sort of pops up. But yeah, Um, okay, fair enough. Um, Yeah, and like I don't even know. Like we already. So I guess the only we talked kind of about Lee and Lampkin. Um, I don't think there's much other interaction between Adama and Lamkin other than like that initial interview stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there's kind of that end bit with Lamkin's letter to Baltar. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I mean, you know, implying that this is sort of what his goal was all along. Like, you know, there's no, there's no great ally, no force more powerful, no enemy more resolved than the son who cha- chooses to step from his father's shadow. And so, right. So this, this is the sun rising, right? Like mm-hmm. this is, um, you know, the point of the, but like, like that sense of like, oh, Lampkin manipulated this to happen, mm-hmm. um, which he kind of does. But, you know, it's more like he's using the situation than manipulating it, I think, in a mm-hmm. lot of ways, too, because like he's obviously not the one setting bombs. And like Kelly is clearly like. It's not like he and Kelly are in cahoots, like, right, right. you know to like manipulate Lee because like Kelly really hates, you know, Baltar's lawyers and is trying to kill them. And it's not like he created conflict between Lee and Adama. He just is seizing on conflict that's already there. And yeah. Um, So, so it is manipulative to a certain extent, but not like, he's not like, it's not like masterminded, I guess. Like if that makes sense. No, it's, it's normal defense lawyer, like use whatever, tools you have to hand whatever presents itself yeah. yeah right whatever introduces like doubt and conflict into the minds of you know the you know the jury and the people watching and you know creates complications where whereas baltar's place might seem very clear-cut he's just introducing as much like complication as he can And um, recruiting a passionate, you know, ally. So Lee motivated less by like not certainly not out of love for Baltar, you know, but very motivated by, you know, his rebellion, I guess, if you want to call it, against Adama. Or at least like his wanting to distinguish himself from so he'll do a good job if for no other reason than that it'll piss off his dad, you know? Sure. Um, um so the other thing is just sort of like the go between between Baltar and Caprica. Um which, you know, this is so it's almost the it's almost the inverse of Adama and Lee, right? Because Adama and Lee have the conversation of like, is your pain as painful as my pain? Mm-hmm. And uh, Lamkin, uh, Lamkin is, is sort of asking Caprica, like, is your love as strong as my love? So there's kind of a, a inverse relationship between those two i think um which i'm actually just sort of thinking through now like this isn't something i really thought about before we started talking but i kind of like that idea um Mm -hmm. i don't know how important it is (laughs) like like i mean you do get rosalind like oh sort of realizing at the end like this is kind of significant i guess in a way but like like, I think we already have gotten to the point, like, as viewers, like, where we see the Cylons as 
a kind of intelligent being, you know, they're, they're a sentient being, even if like a lot of the people still sort of think of them as like toasters or whatever, even Mm -hmm. the, even the, you know, skin jobs. Um, Right. So. Right. I I don't know how, like from an audience perspective, like how much it, it's a big like revelation or something. Cause I feel like we've already seen that sort of thing in them, but you know, it's sort of like, it does seem significant from a Roslyn perspective sure. of like, this is something, you know, we can look at and, and see her sort of like realizing there's implications like capital mm-hmm. I implications here. Um, well, and I think it has as much, to do with um like the course of the trial that like she starts by saying you know he was narcissistic self-centered feckless in vain i'm the one who should have stabbed him by the end of it she's talking about her love for Voltar. so like in the space of the conversation romo has recruited her for his for his team that like mm-hmm. it's become less about her scorned love and her anger and her lashing out at Baltar for what a self-centered jerk he was. And he might still be a self-centered jerk, but by the end she's admitting that she does love him. So it makes it harder to use her as a witness for the prosecution, I guess. Mm. Um, So again, Romo not, he's not creating feelings where they weren't there, but he's, harnessing those feelings in a way that is useful you know to his to his cause um and yeah I hadn't thought about that of like the the pain and love connection but that's good because the Adamas are saying you know are you in as much pain as me but that's based on love right it's based on who loved Kara more and but it's like a competitive thing. It's like, well, mm-hmm. I I hurt the most. That means I was closest <laughs> to her, and she meant the most to me. And right. it's like, and I win. I guess is the answer to whatever competition. Whereas like, Romo flips it. Like, his love hurts, but the emphasis is on the love, not on the pain. And it's more about connection. It's not about. I, my love is more painful than yours. It's about like, this is something that unites us that like, oh, we have something in common. We've Mm. had really painful, you know, difficult relationships that nevertheless were, you know, uh, defining parts of our lives, even if they didn't end well. So it becomes like not a competitive thing, but like a, a thing to be shared. Um, sure Hmm. which i also didn't think of until you said it and then we gotta we gotta stop admitting that we should just like pretend that everything we say is completely planned out and awesome no i'm kidding um yeah no i think i think that's right i don't have anything really to add there um yeah so the only other thing too is um i guess the last little nugget to finish up with um tracking the significance of the pen i mean it's not all the same pen but like if you think of like 
I feel like there's a little motif here of Baltar, you know, signing death warrants with his pen, right? That's his big mm. sin that he committed. Gaeta stabs him with the pen, you know, which is kind of significant, like taking the thing that he used to kill people and trying to kill him with it. Um, and then Romo uses it as like this, and, well, and then so he publishes his manifestos. So he's writing, you know, becomes an important way of getting his sympathy vote out there. Um, and now R Lampkin's using a pen as like this, you know, means of communication to pass little secret messages between him and Caprica and everything. So um, just sure. feel like with Baltar, there's a lot of pen stuff. Um, I don't know what to do with that other than to. And that takes it. us back to the writer of Hemingway in this episode. Right? See, we totally planned this. Absolutely. 100%. And mm -hmm. on that note, we should move on to the next planned discussion. Maybe. Yes. Um, which may or may not be totally planned out. Um, all right. But definitely is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> See, they'll never believe you if you laugh like that. <laughs> Just want right. to be honest. So um, Buffy. Okay. Buffy. We're going to start again with the prologue. I, I wonder if we'll be starting with the prologue every episode this season. I don't know the answer to that question. You do. Hmm. Hmm. A different I, I did exotic locale. Yeah. I did warn you that, that there was a similar prologue this time. Sure. Uh, well, and if they're all the same, then maybe we don't have to... You know, I, but like I this will, is only the second one, so it's worth I will say and everything. I will say this. Not every episode this season starts with a young woman in a different country getting stabbed or whatever. When you put it that way, it sounds like a horrible way to begin each episode. Like let's have this week's, you know, yeah. Young woman get hunted and stabbed in like a random city. I mean um, I won't tell you like how many aren't, you know starting with that <laughs> right right um like or even them or yeah yeah like at what point we discovered the significance but i do right. so i'm sorry i'm totally like stepping in on your toes here but like i feel like we get uh there's a bit of an escalation to it right because of buffy's sort you know her dream right it develops like we learn more um I mean, to be honest, like we we get even more of like the scenario itself. Like we see this this girl in in, in Frankfurt um, get sort of um, definitively stabbed and killed. Whereas I feel like in the first one, the camera kind of cut away right as it was happening. So for me, at least, there was some ambiguity as to like, did she get stabbed or not? Or what was the outcome of that? Whereas here the scene plays longer and you see that like she does get stabbed and, and die and everything. So it's telling you more about what's going on. I feel like we also, we got a hint of it, but we get more of the fighting skills of this person that she like, maybe she's outnumbered, but she has, she's not just some random victim that she seems to be able to fight. Mm -hmm. you know so to, to a certain extent what does that tell you like what like 
okay, so she can fight. What does that imply, maybe? I mean, as far as, like, young women who seem ordinary but have fighting skills, they tend to be slayers. Is Like, it reminds me of, like, when... Um, Faith or um, oh, what was the fr- the other one in Kendra, season Ken- two? Kendra. Kendra. When when Faith or Kendra would show up, and it would suddenly be like, here's another person who can just do what Buffy can do. Um, yeah. And so, so, sorry. So maybe that's where this is headed. Um, I mean. Now, hmm, I'm thinking, did we have this conversation and did I already ask this question? Buffy died again. Back, like, at the end of season five. Yeah. Did we talk about whether that releases... Maybe we did. Like succession? Right. Like, does that trigger more Slayer awakenings? So, Faith was called when Kendra died. Right. So. Right. And so Kendra this is, was called when Buffy died the first time. Right. So this is, this is debated, but I feel like the majority, like, the majority of, like, fandom poll and sort of, like, like, like the, the, the fanon, I guess, right, is what mm-hmm. they call it. Um, sure. Is. The headcanon. Well, I think it's more than headcanon because I feel like it's it's sort it's of like a collective con- consensus upon, okay. consensus among the fandom, even if it's never like maybe officially brought. Is that the Slayer line flows through Faith, so that mm. Buffy could die eight hundred more times and no new Slayers would be called because the line passed from her to Kendra. And then to faith. Mm-hmm. And so it would take faith to die next. Mm. Now, we do Bye. learn, we do learn that, like, like to bring in some things that we've already learned, but maybe you only having watched them like once and me having watched the entire seasons like multiple times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, just bringing in the fact that like, like we do know that Kendra had a watcher, even though she wasn't the right. like before well, she was a slayer. That's what I was thinking of that even before she was officially a slayer, um, she trained from a young age. Right. So they we, knew she was in line right. for the succession. Right. So just because they're I, I'm working this out as I'm saying it. Yeah. I shouldn't I should you're, you're I on the right that. you're on the right track. So just because they haven't just because Faith hasn't died and triggered more Slayers doesn't mean that there aren't Slayers in training out there, you know. Right. Should the occasion arise. And so then... Because Buffy's unique in that she really had no idea before she became the Slayer. Or fairly unique. Maybe not the I, only one, but like... Yeah, I don't, I don't think we want to read into it too much. Like, I don't necessarily think that we want to say that we know who everyone would but like but so we know we know that there are other watchers Mm -hmm. out there 
right? Because we've seen them. We've seen like a contingent of watchers coming to, you know, Sunnydale. But like, there's only ever like Giles says like there's only one watcher and Slayer pair, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and even like like he's not part of the Watchers Council anymore, and like the Watchers have clearly abandoned both Buffy and Faith. Like mm-hmm. Faith's Faith's well presumably faith is still in prison somewhere right mm-hmm. like she'd better watch her back is what i'm thinking based so, on these prologues well so here's the thing is like yeah we've seen these monks in like two different parts of the world chasing down these women who right seem to have some fighting ability but maybe not the strength or cunning or whatever that buffy has so you know, they don't seem to be slayers. We haven't we haven't heard rumor or news of Faith's death. Mm-hmm. So they're not activated or whatever you want to call it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't even know if that's the right word to be honest. But like, you know, they haven't they haven't had the slayer line passed to them. So presumably Faith's still alive. Or if she's not alive, like it's gone to someone we haven't seen yet. Um so yes, but but like there's apparently, you know, these monks or whatever are hunting down mm-hmm. what seem to be good candidates. Like it may not even matter. They may not even. It may not even be like we know for sure this is someone, right? Who who could be the next Slayer? Right. This you know, is like a slaughter of the firstborn but kind it's of like, situation of like. Yeah, Get like rid maybe, of anybody who even yeah, has there, a whiff there's of, like a profile yeah. of what the slayer is, and so we're just going to go after anyone who fits that, whether right, whether right. they're actually, you know, whatever or not. Right. Um, right. Are we heading towards a like yeah. so, last of the slayers kind of idea of like you know, um, whether or not that's what happens, I don't know, but like you know, working their way through you know, those possibilities and maybe moving up towards Buffy and Faith and some of the, like... Right, so it's kind of... Yeah. It's kind of like like that idea of, like, okay, maybe we can't kill the Slayer, but we can kill all the people who might be Slayer in the future. Mm -hmm. And so, like, you know, it's like that thing of, like, all right, like, don't go after, like, the adult cockroaches. Go after, like, the next generation that can't defend themselves and, mm-hmm. you know, kill them before they become adults kind of thing. Yeah, right? right. And then when they eventually do get to Buffy, if they manage to kill her, there's nobody left to pass the, or not Buffy, I guess, Faith. Um, there's nobody left to pass that, that, you know, that skill onto. Yeah. Right. And right. And so then, yeah, you only have the actual slayers to like kill. So it's right. You know. Right. It makes it, it makes that job cleaner and less sort of risky of like if they just go and kill Faith now, you know, the slayerhood passes to somebody else and they might have no idea who. So they're kind of preempting that problem. Mhm. Okay. Um 
So yeah, so there's um, they call them so so they call them potentials or like potential slayers is is the name, and that comes from that actually comes back way from what's my line part two, which is where we see Kendra. Mm-hmm. Uh, be- I believe that's for the first time, and Buffy says, uh, "You know, you really do have potential." And Kendra goes, "Potential? I could wait." I could wipe the floor with you right now, right? <laughs> um, in in that accent. Um, but yeah, no. Me, I'm so, sorry. This is a really random comment, but it just made me think of. Can't be more random than some of my comments tonight. So my random thought is how uh, Joey Tribbiani tries to do Southern accents, and they always come out Jamaican. But <laughs> the South will rise again, man. <laughs> <laughs> right right i mean i think i even trilled a little bit there which shouldn't have been but anyway yeah, you put a little uh resonant r in there yeah um but hey bad accents are fun um but yeah so anyway all of that to say that like like there is this um idea of the potential that we've already sort of uh talked about a little bit but um Mm -hmm. yeah like so so very different so this was one of the things i was referring to back when uh last week or a couple weeks ago when when i said like there are like different elements from like different seasons kind of at play Mm -hmm. here and different episodes or whatever um so the other the other thing that I'll just sort of say and and we'll leave, we can leave it or discuss it as you want is that so like what makes sense then from a like who these guys are who are chasing them down mm-hmm. is like they know not to go after the slayer mm-hmm. maybe because they've tangled with the slayer before mm-hmm. and lost right so like I won't give away like who who these people are or whatever, but like we've seen something like them before or mm-hmm. a different like iteration of them or what like like it's not like I you know again like I won't say like what episode or what you know who they are working for or what they're doing or whatever, but yeah, just to say that like. Like that's why you might start going after like potentials the, is because weaker, yeah you can't yeah. you can't actually go after the slayers themselves right right well and there's a more explicit connection to the like overarching plot of of the Hellmouth reopening and um and this you know evil spirit that's sort of haunting the basement of Sunnydale and kind of messing with spike's head and everything because the girl as part of her dream you know turns to buffy or to to, or to the camera and says you know the from beneath you it devours um which at first kind of seems to do with the the monster of the week but that's a little bit of like a red herring you know it really has to do with this this looming threat of the hellmouth devouring everybody you know and having teeth and all that kind of thing Yep. Which like everybody's picking up on, right? Like so there's, you know, the 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 German, you know, 
potential slayer, you know, is speaking about from beneath you, it devours, but Willow's talking about the Hellmouth opening. Spike right. Spike talks about feeling like something's coming and bad things, and Buffy has a sense of, you know, um, you know, waking up and saying, um, uh, what does she say? There's more like her, and you know, and they're gonna die, but she knows that there's something coming with the Hellmouth and all this stuff. So everybody's sort of, you know, anybody who's um, Hellmouth sensitive let's say is like picking up the tremors of of all these things so this the the hunting of these slayers seems to be part of that like maybe before the moment arrives whoever these you know people or demons are that are hunting the slayers are doing the preparatory work to hunt down all of these other you know um slayers in training and getting them off the table before you know the the big day comes whenever that is mm. so there's many moving parts to this to this plan right okay <laughs> so now so that we've cleared that's, that's that the, up that's the prologue taken care of um <laughs> Another short um, section, uh, at least in our intention, um, is Willow and Giles. Um, and Willow is packed and ready to come back. So her little um, retreat at, on Giles' farm is uh, sadly, yeah. sadly come to an end. Um, so, and something it kind of brings up, I mean, obviously she's, nervous to go back and that's completely understandable and everything um but her her um lack of assurance of what the reaction of the scoobies will be was mm. interesting because it kind of made me realize they like haven't mentioned willow yet like among themselves it's not something that they're talking about in these sure. first two episodes and th that seems like a noticeable thing like I mean, it could be because, you know, they've said all they had to say and it's just not something they're worried about, you know, or it could be more of a pointed, like, we don't really talk about that kind of thing. So it kind of leaves me with like, a, oh, I'm not sure what will happen when she goes back. I would have thought that they were more, um, you know, in line with whatever was going on with her kind of rehab with Giles and everything. But now that I think about it, it could have been that Giles sort of just packed her up and whisked her away and didn't necessarily, not that he did that without telling Buffy, but maybe they've been cut off from Willow and maybe there hasn't really been any, you know, real reconciliation or, you know, or yeah. even discussion about what all happened. Um, so it kind of made me realize like, oh yeah, I hadn't really thought about that yet. Sure. Yeah. I mean. And I mean, that's set up. I, there's maybe not a lot to say about it. That's kind of the, the only setting other... us up for some, some sort of reunion, but. Um, or not. But or yeah. Not. Uh, like, the only... That's like a tough 
tough thought that Giles ends on of like, you may not be wanted, but you will be needed. Sure. Like that even he's kind of saying like, I don't know what the reaction is going to be. Um, the, so the one thing I want to add too, is that like, this is our normal, like actual time has passed in the same, in the real world and the Buffyverse at the same time. So like, right. like this is, you know, right. beginning of a new school year, there's been a summer. So yeah. you could imagine like after three months, it's like, well, we're not mentioning Willow every day because kind of out of sight, out of mind. Like, right. No, that's what, yeah, that's definitely a possibility. Um, and which was more how I took it up until she sort of brought that, um, brought that up in conversation. Um, and only then did I start to question my assumption there. Sure. Um, so, yeah. So we will uh, see how that goes. How awkward a reunion that may or may not be. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Moving on to the stuff in, the, in Sunnydale High. There's definitely less stuff in the school this episode which is you know fine sure. I, don't ex I don't expect every episode to be centered on like a high school you know monster of the week obviously right it's still um, Buffy the vampire slayer and even though she's in the school right. like it's, it's more like a Dawn the little her. sister of the vampire right. slayer um yeah so I mean you kind of get more of Dawn's sort of ambivalence of both wanting Buffy there and being sort of proud to have her there and also the normal kind of like embarrassment that goes along with that. That's, that's kind of fine. Um, and, uh, so the little bit with principal Wood, um, one line jumped out to me. I'm not sure whether it was supposed to or not, but, um, you know, he's giving Buffy her little, showing her her desk and, you know, orientation and everything. And um, she asks if she can um, give people detention. And he says, a little authority can be a wonderful thing. Um, and he doesn't say it in a particularly sinister way, but it made me think of the, the stuff, the last episode about power, you know, of like hmm. that repeated line of it's all about power, um, sure. you know? And then, I mean, in like two sentences later, he's saying something about, the students will eat you alive. And, you know, she makes a joke about Principal Flutie. So again, with him, there is that potential of ambiguity of, are these supposed to be weighted words that he's choosing? Are there double entendres? Or is it just that he's, you know, doesn't realize that the significance of right. what it is that he's saying? Obviously, we're not sure yet, but it, he keeps, you know, I'm obviously on high alert for like weird phrasing and stuff. So I'm sure. like kind of, I'm going to pick up on every little thing that has, you know, some sort of double entendre to it. But, but it's also like just phrases people use, right? Like right. It's they're not like, really like out of the ordinary no. in that respect. So yeah, no, you can no. absolutely read it as this is normal person just not like realizing the significance of, yeah. the, of the words that he's using. Um. Right. Um, yeah. 
I mean, I, you know, won't say one way or the other. He's not as mean as some of the other principals, but he's not like, it's true. you know, he doesn't have sort of the greasy night niceness of, you know, the mayor. Right. Either. Right. So, um, no, he's whether, more... whether that means anything like, right. He's a more, his, his likability seems more sincere at this point. He doesn't seem like, yeah. Which, yeah. yeah which again, doesn't necessarily mean it is. It just means that's how it, seems right yes <laughs> right and that could all be part of you know the act um but yeah we don't um uh we don't quite know yet obviously um and then buffy goes you know down to look for spike in the basement and uh you know he's not there anymore it kind of cracked me up it's one of these things that like you could totally just chalk it up to editing and say um oh a certain amount of time has passed that you just don't see but the way they edit it it kind of seems like Buffy gets there and gets her desk and like the first thing she does is like go look for Spike in the basement so it just kind of makes me chuckle like I'm gonna go explore but like she immediately disappears and goes to the basement and it's like (laughs) like you know no attempt to even show like what does Buffy do all day while she's there um sure which, you know, fair enough, you know, watching people sit at a desk is uh, not that interesting. So um, it just kind of made me, kind of made me laugh. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we don't see any like interactions with students yet. That's, you know. With for, Buffy, yeah, yeah. For future episodes, I guess. Um, which is fine. I'm, that's not a problem. Um yeah. Or we may not. Or we may never see her with anybody. (laughs) Now you're seeming like maybe that's a possibility. I'm saying nothing. Okay. Um, we do see her to segue, um, (laughs) with, you know, the monster of the week outside of the school. Um, so, you know, moving on to the situation, um, you know, Nancy, random, you know, uh, you know, characters, you know, walking her dog and the ground suddenly opens and devours her little puppy. From beneath her. From beneath her. And yeah, I mean, so that's, that's the red herring. Right. That like it and, and which is fine. Like I'm not even complaining about that. Um, but right. it, it it's to lead you and to Buffy down certain paths of um speculation that don't necessarily pan out. Mm-hmm. Um but um I mean more interesting and I mean I feel like we can kind of even dispose of the the plot elements pretty quickly that it turns out to be Anya granting a wish in a mm-hmm. more extravagant way than, you know, right. Nancy necessarily thought that she wished that he would, you know, be a worm. Sure. And, you know, Anya chooses a sort of worm-like giant demon that, you know, tunnels through the earth. And, right. uh, and because the guy was 
obviously a bad guy hunts Nancy down and is like, you know, trying to eat her. So he's not just uh, going after random victims. He's hunting Nancy in particular. Sure. Which begs the question of like, does that, is that vengeance? Like, like, is that really what Anya's supposed to be doing even? Right? Like, right. In a way she just enables the, the, the bad boyfriend to be more of a nuisance. Yeah. To, to be more yeah. terrorizing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So like, is that, is she really helping women in that case? <laughs> like, right. And is she overcompensating a bit of like, she says that, well, I don't have my, my demon friends anymore and my boss isn't happy with my work and all this stuff. So she's, it's not enough to just grant the wish of, you know, turning the guy into a worm. It's, she has to sort of make it spectacular and stand mm -hmm. out and make her look impressive in a certain way. And it's, going to get her and people into, you know, trouble and danger and everything. Right. Um, but more interesting, I think, than, you know, the plot of that all is as a sort of catalyst for getting all of the various uh, romantically entangled characters together and like yelling at each other <laughs> like right. like and, he, like and then commenting Anya into the same space with Buffy and with Spike so that all of this frustration can start to right vent itself yeah um and then using Nancy to like comment on the sort of absurdity of it too right like wait a minute right. you know sort I thought like, you were with you and like like who hasn't slept with each other and then you get like the look between Spike and Xander and Xander <laughs> like let's not go there yeah it kind of does similar thing to Giles laughing at Buffy describing all of the sure the ridiculous stuff that he's missed and his reaction is to laugh at how absurd it is yeah Nancy kind of does the same thing and and points out the soap opera element of you know you've all slept together at one point and have all of these jilted you know grudges and feelings towards each other right yeah um yeah and i don't i mean so right so then nancy like runs off and is like why am i surrounded by freaks all the time um which is like if this is if this seems like the sort of thing that happens all the time, then like you really need to like question your choices. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> Yeah. Um but yeah, like point taken, she runs off, um, worm thing still sort of follows her and, and Buffy goes and like rescues her, but then Spike comes along to like kill the demon. Mm -hmm. Right. So this is uh Spike's back in demon killing mode, like he's got his soul now, but like is still oh well so we missed that part. Uh sorry, going back, stepping back for a moment. Of mm -hmm. like Anya noticing Yes. The something different about Spike. Yep. Um Yep. And him like punching her out to get her off of him. Um 
sparking this fight, you know, as a distraction, you know, away from. So he has this soul. He's, I mean, we're going to talk about Spike. I feel like I want to save, you know, get through this stuff so we can spend more time on the Spike ending. Mm -hmm. Um, But just the fact that he has this soul, which he's gone on this quest for and gone through some serious trials and suffering to attain and now he's back offering help for whatever's coming but not pointedly not telling Buffy why or or sharing that what he's done and in fact even doesn't want Anya to like tell his secret um you know she notices and he has to like fight her off and start goading everyone into like a brawl in order to deflect the attention from yeah what he's doing which i got like even when he's again goading buffy and saying like oh i haven't changed at all and all this stuff like i got a very um it reminded me of uh the like lee cara dynamic of unfinished business where it's like taunting someone into punching you so that they can get out their anger and frustration. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, based on what we see later, I mean, Spike clearly has changed in some way, whether, you know, all for good or not is, you know, to be seen, but um, it does seem like he wants atonement and he wants Buffy to get some sort of reparation for what, he did to her and so that's kind of how i read his his turn into his vamp face there in the bronze is like Hmm. you know an excuse for buffy to like beat the crap out of him or something um sure yeah i mean this sort of masochistic aspect of that wouldn't be wholly off base either right like (laughs) Right. Yeah, if, sure. If you don't love me, then, you know, punish me. Like, mm-hmm. and maybe there's sort of a caring in that, too, <laughs> of some right. sort. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of how I was thinking of it, of like, whether this is a wholly healthy reaction or not, there's some motivation of thinking of the other person there or or... Or if not thinking of what they might, you know, want to do, at least, like you said, thinking of Spike, thinking of what he deserves to happen on some level. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, and I guess before we move on to the other element is Xander's um, flirtations with Nancy and the fact that he's at least wanting to move on from Anya, even if he's not wholly there yet. Um, right. You know, that, that at least is, is a potential motivation in his mind. Uh, even though this doesn't go anywhere. Cause of course she gets totally, you know, freaked out and he says, you know, she's not going to call him. Which is probably accurate. But I wasn't sure at first, like when they had her show up and the characters are interacting, I 
thought potentially this could be them introducing, you know, a new love interest for Xander. It wasn't till the end that I felt for sure that she would just be like a, a one-off character that, you know, is there and then goes away. Sure. Yeah, I mean, maybe she does come back. Who knows? That's true. Wouldn't wouldn't be the first time that a sort of relatively minor character came back. Mm -hmm. If she does, I won't say from one or the other. This is true. Um, anything else before we finish with Spike and Buffy? Anything to do with like the group dynamic or? Um, the only thing I would mention is uh, Dawn. Mm -hmm. And in particular, her uh, comment to Spike yes. when uh, when they're leaving the Summers house, where she says, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, she asks him if he sleeps or like vampire sleep. And, and she says, I can't take you in a fight or anything, even with a chip in your head. But you do sleep. If you hurt my sister at all, touch her. You're going to wake up on fire. And like, I think the thing about is this totally is like inappropriate to say that's kind of awesome <laughs> no not at all and this is so like it's moments like this where i wish like the dawn haters would like mm -hmm. realize like actually there's quite a bit of growth because mm -hmm. this is this is done completely like this is at the same time like right after she jokes about being command central and it's totally dawned and like kind of impotent and you right know, the kind of self-deprecating you know whatever but like this is like like dawn sneaky like if there's any like her klepto and like sneaking out at night and going to the magic shop and like like this is sneaky dawn and like you can kind of see her actually doing this like well and that she's worked out a way to do right. it right that like it's not just if you hurt her, I'm going to kick your butt. And like, you know, that's right. an this empty isn't, threat. This, so, so friends reference again, right? This isn't Ross going around, like threatening to like kick, kick Chandler's ass or whatever. Right. Like right, right. when he marries a sister, like this right. is like, <laughs> like everyone just like laughs at him. But right. like, this is like actually like Don who, who should be, or who not should be, who we've come to expect to be kind of like irritating and you know useless in a way mm -hmm. um that nobody else really is on the show she's not she's completely not and completely believable and and not just believable that she like would try to do it but that she could actually succeed in doing it mm -hmm. um and i think that's the thing that's so kind of, yeah, I think you're right. Like, I think you're totally right to say like, this is an awesome moment because I do, I feel like, I mean, obviously there's no other seasons where this could happen. So if it's going to happen, like season seven is the season where Dawn comes into her own and it's kind of appropriate in that way because she's the age that Buffy was when this whole thing started, right? Like this is, this is Dawn. I'm not saying that Dawn is or isn't a potential because we don't know yet. And maybe she is, maybe she isn't, but like, could we see robed monks coming after her? If that were a sort of thing too, like 
this is the kind of thing that would maybe trigger them to think that she could be, you mm-hmm. know, whether she is or isn't. Um, I hope I'm being sufficiently vague and not giving any hints about one way or the other here. Mm-hmm. But but I guess I do want to say, like, there's actually, so this is one moment. There's another moment that, I, that I've used in defense of Dawn and, like, how I, you know, I've, I've said to you, I, I like Dawn. I mm-hmm. do think she's annoying at times, but I also think it's like, hey, she's a teenager. She's supposed to right. be. Like, that's yes. totally consistent. But I also feel like a lot of people who hate on Dawn totally ignore moments like this. Mm-hmm. And and it becomes very much a, a, you know, confirmation bias of like, oh, she's annoying in all these other episodes, so therefore she's annoying all the time. Well, right. no, you have to look at how she grows and how she, how her character changes. And I think this absolutely is one of those moments mm-hmm. that shows that sort of change. Um, not just in like, like we talked about like sort of the mechanics of it, right? Like how she worked out, you know, how to actually hurt Spike and kill him potentially. But like mm-hmm. also in the not thinking about herself mm-hmm. aspect, like that's a, that's a display of growth too, that she's looking to defend her sister in in a way that like Buffy kind of can't or won't defend herself. Like that's mm-hmm. that's the blind spot Buffy has sort of developed with Spike. Even like to where she's saying to Xander, like kind of cocky or whatever dismissal, you know, dismiss dismissingly. Um that like, oh, I can I can defend myself. I don't mm-hmm. like I know I can take him. Like Yes, he may have tried to rape me, but I defeated him and I could do it again if I have to. Like, that's kind of, mm-hmm. like, again, like. Right, she's brushing it off. You know, with, yeah. with, without victim blaming, <clears throat> like, there's still, like, maybe situations you shouldn't put yourself in if there's a potential danger. And, like, is Spike really providing that much value at this point that you couldn't just go out and look for what's going on on your own? Right, right. Like right, and and maybe there's truth there that she is stronger and can beat him in a fight, but she's not predicting, like the way that when she has that little flashback moment, like she's not taking into account the psychological aspects of it. It's not purely a matter of who's stronger than who. Um, you know, there's there's the matter of her own you know, reaction or trauma that she's not predicting or factoring into her confidence of, oh, I can take him. Um, And the change too, like you said, like this is a notably selfless moment of Dawn. The change in her relationship to Spike, that like how much has he been a, a... a solid for her and a constant for her and that it's hard for her to think that he would have done anything like this at the end of the last season. Um, So for her to not only believe that he did do it, but be willing to, you know, say this and seem to mean it and be willing to take action on Buffy's behalf. Like there's no sense of her being defensive of Spike given her, you know, previous relationship with him or how much she might have got along with him in the past. It doesn't matter because 
her relationship with Buffy trumps that and that's what she's defending. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, I'm, I did really like that, obviously. So I'm glad that you mentioned it because I almost forgot it. So, uh, yeah. That's the only other thing that I had. So if you want to, so you okay. want to talk about the last scene? Yeah. I mean, this episode's fine. It's not bad. It's not great. I think it's sort of a somewhere in the middle. Um, but I think that the ending with Spike and Buffy is clearly the, the standout sequence of the whole thing. I mean, tell me if you disagree, but. I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm sorry. I, like, I thought you were going to say something more. Um, I, no, I was giving you the opportunity to disagree <laughs> if you wanted to, but maybe you don't. Yeah, to. I don't, I don't, I think you're right. Like it's probably in the middle somewhere. There are some standout season or standout episodes this season. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't necessarily think this is one of them. I think mm-hmm. it's, I, I mean, I do always remember sort of like the, I and I don't actually, when I'm thinking about it, it's one of those episodes where it's like, oh yeah, I remember like the underground slug thing that's the girl's boyfriend and that kind of stuff. But like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't even necessarily remember that it's this one. Um, beneath you, from beneath it, you it devours is mm-hmm. repeated. And like this is where it starts, obviously, in the episode's name beneath you. And so like like you said, there's right. sort of the red herring aspect and, and all of that. And so like I think from that perspective, it's kinda like, oh, it's introducing this new thing. Mm-hmm. Um that and I don't I don't think I'm spoiling by saying like we'll hear that phrase again. Like you right. we don't know what it means exactly. We know what it doesn't mean at this point. Like it doesn't mean this slug off demon thing, but um yeah, like we're still figuring out that kind of stuff, and um, like we've already talked about the Hellmouth and and the teeth and whatever. Like again, like people know it's coming, things know it's coming, so not really giving away anything there. But um, yeah, as an episode, like I don't like the monster of the week stuff. Is it is what it is. It's like they needed something to kind of do whatever. But yeah, there's. I, I think it's one of those moving the chess pieces around sort of episodes mm-hmm. to get mm-hmm. to where we want to go. Um, so, yeah. So, I don't, I don't disagree. I, I, I don't see it as a standout episode of the season, but it's certainly not a terrible episode by any means. No, it's, no. It's not, that's... it's not like beer bad, you know, <laughs> which is notable and memorable in its own right but because of its badness sure sure um yeah no i would put this more kind of workhorse middle of the pack doing a job but not necessarily a standout on its own um but i do think there's that's a pretty striking ending with spike um I mean, both from a story point of view of, you know, if there's a really big chess move in this episode, it's his uh, Buffy's revelation that of his being re-insold. Um, you know, that's a significant move to make on the 
the storyboard. Um, but like even, even just like visually, uh, and I, I, I'm sure I've seen this shared in, you know, on Twitter or Tumblr or something. So it's not totally new to me. Um, but the, the final image of him, like leaning on the crucifix that then has the smoke rising, uh, just the kind of, it's a pretty striking, striking poetry of that image. Um, and his, you know, lines about everything is okay. Can we, can we just rest now? Um, juxtaposed with like, he must be in pain. Like he can't be very restful if his skin is burning off. And so there's this weird kind of, he's going a little bit nuts, but in like a particularly scary way of how much is he even connected to reality and like what's happening to him and what's happening around him. Yeah. Um, And the thing I, I mean, I guess I'm supposed to, the thing I'm not quite clear on is how he manages to become so sort of lucid in the middle of the episode. That at the beginning and the end, we see him very rambling and frazzled and all these things that we've seen. And and in the middle, there's this section of he kind of yeah. gets himself together. He does sort of fix his appearance a bit and comes across as much like his old self as he can up until the point that he accidentally stabs what turns out to be like Ronnie, the boyfriend or whatever. Um, and then that triggers like his, his old mental state of shouting at things that nobody else can see and rambling and ranting to himself. Um, so I'm not quite sure. It seems like you're not quite supposed to know how he, how he did that. Like, and I guess that's deliberately left an open question. I don't know if he'll be able to do it again or what the, the mechanics of that are, but. Right. Um, yeah. And I don't even know that I have much of a good answer because I don't think we do ever really find out what the deal is there. I guess I would just say like, at one point he talks about like wearing the right clothes or or, like putting on a costume or something. And so it's like, it's kind of almost like that fake it till you make it idea. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, we don't like, we don't get details about like how he does that. And it's, it's the killing of, or I guess we don't know if the guy actually dies, but like the stabbing of Ronnie, right? Mm-hmm. Recently tran- re-transformed Ronnie from a demon into a human that uh, kind of triggers it again. So maybe it's that thing of like, mm-hmm. like as long as he's like focused, he can do it. But then that sort of like shocks him back into his yeah. madness in a way concentration um there's also the sense that like he's talking to someone or something else which we saw last week right like Mm -hmm. the the this whatever spirit thing we want to talk about um although he lies about that because he tells buffy it was like the ghost demon zombies right that's true Um, too and uh that's not 
didn't seem to be the case that it seemed like that was something separate from that transforming spirit right. at the well, end that was when, monologuing to him. When the three, you know, uh, manifest spirits or whatever, uh, when the talisman is broken, they disappear. Right. They like they go, the and this other thing doesn't. So like, right. I think, I think there's a very strong case to be made that it's separate from them. Um, Right. So, so yeah. in his kind of lucid, collected state, does he know what it is that's talking to him? Because he's not telling Buffy what it is. So that's a an interesting. And is it, yeah. Is it separate from him? Like, is it a psychological manifestation too? Like sure. We, like so we, his, a head character, or no, yeah. No, if if that's what he's talking to, you know, when he goes mad again then there's a strong case maybe to be made that I mean if he's the only one who sees it then maybe there's a reason for that right like maybe it's because he's the only one who can see it because he's mm -hmm. the one sort of manifesting it in some way um mm -hmm. whatever that might be so uh yeah I don't I mean obviously I know I don't want to reveal that bit of it like I feel mm -hmm. like I've revealed a little enough for tonight with like sort of <laughs> the potentials and and that we've maybe encountered these monks or something like them before yeah um or whatever we want to call them I maybe they're not monks per se maybe they're something else but anyway i'm just throwing that out there but like so i won't get into like yeah all of that like as far as who he's talking to or or what sort of form it takes but I think there's yeah plenty of questions to be asked certainly uh, mm -hmm. about it and and that yeah like it like maybe he was able to suppress it or ignore it or whatever for a while and that was part of his lucidity but now that he's like you know the sort of shock and trauma of killing a human rather than a demon which like it's the same effect right because like the demon's still like the same personality I guess like but with demon in this so like wouldn't killing the demon still be killing the human like sure <laughs> sure but there's a level of you can think about it as inhuman if it looks weird right whereas when it switches and like, it's, it's that it's it's not necessarily a purely rational thing it's his emotional trigger of all the right. Right. all of the people that he's killed and that and he says that like angel says um that he makes a good show of forgetting, but you know, uh, Spike says, but it's here in me all the time. So yeah, that's what it seems to be of just the, the sight even of seeing him impale a human being is enough to send him kind of spiraling back into his, you know, uh, his rantings. Um, so yeah, so going back to that final scene then, uh, certainly still crazy, except for his one lucid comment about being crazy. Yes. Um, and Buffy figures it out, right? Mm -hmm. Like she she says, your soul. Like mm -hmm. she figures out what's going on. So now she knows. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that changes anything, mm -hmm. but yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, 
it definitely throws her for a loop. It, it, even if only momentarily, it seems to make her sort of drop her guard for a second. Um, you know, she's sort of standing at in the defensive, ready for who knows what. And just the notion of that he went and got his soul seems to kind of penetrate those defenses a bit. Like that she doesn't look like she's so much ready for a fight that might come from behind her. Um, mm. I guess gives her more of so a So you're thinking of on, like, as a cliffhanger, like maybe this is like where we pick up next time and... Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I hadn't necessarily thought about where the next episode starts, but I would imagine it has to change things in her attitude. Um, both in the way, both in that fact that he's changed, that he's no longer, again, f whether for good or bad or in what way we don't know but whatever it is it's different he has to be different now yeah. in some way well and so um, like yeah yeah like this is so like if he's hanging like if he's hanging on the cross so to speak mm -hmm. in like the last scene uh and she realizes this that he has a soul now and that I mean, we don't know, like, we never see, like, a vampire die from a cross burn. Like, it just seems to hurt. But, like, maybe if he's there long enough, he'll, like, burst into flame or something. Mm -hmm. Because there's certainly smoke. So, like, right, she this be becomes a question to of, go like... help him, yeah. Yeah, like, like, is that her... Yeah, is she more inclined to, like, go save him knowing that he has a soul? I mean, you would think she would be. Mm -hmm. You know, so, like... But she's also kind of in shock. Right. Yes. <laughs> so, like, there's that. Like, is she going to move fast enough? Or or what is that going to do? Anyway. Right. Um, I do want to point out, too, just sort of in his ramblings, like, you mentioned the sort of um, red herring nature of the episode. There is that section of his rambling where he goes, uh, you know, uh, jokes on me, lots of laughs. Hey, bring the wife and kitties. Come see the show because it's going to be a circus. This, just the beginning, love, a warm-up act. The real headliner's coming. And mm. when that band hits the stage, all of this, all this will come tumbling in death and screaming, horror and bloodshed. From beneath you it devours. So again, like sort of almost acknowledging in the sort of rant that like, yeah, this was not the real thing. Like this, We're the, in the opening from, acts. From yeah, beneath yeah. you it devours is, re, you know, uh, referring to something else than yeah. you know poor rocky who got eaten by the yes. slug off demon yes but, um so i just i i always like i and again so again this is sort of not quite at the end like last week's but like again you know another sort of like we're going back to the beginning like this is almost more an address to the audience than the characters themselves so kind of playing with that who are mm -hmm. we talking about and to whom and all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Any other final thoughts or questions or? Nope. No, I mean, 
plenty of questions, but I feel uh, sure. confident that all will be addressed in in due course. I think everything I have questions about is mysteries that are unresolved. I don't think there's anything that doesn't make sense necessarily. It's just a, a matter of waiting for the story to sort of play out. So Fair yeah, enough. I guess I'm, yeah, I'm interested to see further of Buffy's reaction to Spike's soul and, and uh, also to see the reaction to Willow's return. Mm -hmm. So those will be the pieces that I'm most sort of looking forward to at the moment. Yeah. Um, so we're back to Angel next week. Right, but we can't talk about that yet because we're back to Angel. Thank you for reminding me. I probably would have popped in the next Buffy episode. <laughs> Don't do that. It is yeah. a good episode, uh, the next Buffy one, but we're not watching it yet. Okay. Um, so yeah, so just... I mean, real quick, we're back to Angel, and this is, um, you know, similar to kind of how we've talked about Joss not being as involved with some of the season finale opener stuff. Like, this is the first one where we have David Greenwald not involved in Angel. Um, again, he's sort of handing off responsibilities. Um, the first, So this first episode is actually written by uh, Stephen S. DeKnight, who um, is moving over now from he he wrote a number of episodes for Buffy in seasons five and six, and now he's moving over to Angel for season four and five of that show, mm -hmm. um, and is writing the so the last that last episode we got from him was um, seeing red, so of course that's where uh, Tara gets shot, but. Um, I, I like him as a writer. I think he does some good mm -hmm. uh, good episodes and stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, so we'll, the, the episode title is Deep Down, so maybe we'll figure out what's going on uh, mm -hmm. from that. But anyway, so yeah, we'll be back next week to talk about that. And uh, some more BSG, the, the beginning of the finale for that season. So lots of good, yeah. good yeah. stuff starting up. Finale, finale part one of season three. Yep. All right. All right. Sounds good. See you then. <laughs>